The Electronic Intifada. Intifada. Intifada Electronic. The Electronic Intifada. El Intifada This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows Friedman with the Electronic Intifada podcast. Last year, Palestinian-American teen Tarek Abu Khader was beaten unconscious by Israeli police in Shafat, occupied East Jerusalem. Tarek's cousin, Mohammed Abu Khader, 16 years old, was kidnapped and brutally murdered by Israelis just days before. After beating him into unconsciousness, Israeli forces arrested 15-year-old Tarek and five other youths without charge and prevented Tarek from receiving medical treatment for five hours. Tarek recently spoke at a U.S. congressional briefing on Israel's abuse and torture of Palestinian children in military detention in Washington, D.C., as part of a three-day series of advocacy events organized by Defense for Children International Palestine, the American Friends Service Committee, and the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation. Meanwhile, as the Electronic Intifada reported this week, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has caved in to pressure from Israel and the United States and taken the Israeli military off an official list of serious violators of children's rights in this year's report on children in armed conflict. In doing so, Ban rejected an official recommendation from his own Special Representative for Children and Armed Conflict and numerous human rights organizations and child rights defenders. Joining us to talk about the recent congressional briefing and Israel's systematic denial of the rights of Palestinian children is Brad Parker, attorney and advocacy officer with Defense for Children International Palestine, and Jennifer Bing, director of the Chicago American Friends Service Committee's Middle East program, and she works with the Israel-Palestine Joint U.S. program. Both accompanied Tarek Abu Khader and his family to Washington last week. Brad and Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Brad, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how this congressional briefing happened and why it was important to bring Tarek Abu Khader, who's now 16, to speak about his experience? The briefing was really uh, a project that was initiated from a local group in Chicago that um, I had met uh, in my work with Defense for Children International Palestine that was very much interested in doing something to raise the issue of, of Palestinian children in Israeli military detention uh, with their own elected officials. Um, so we, you know, we we made plans to, to figure out a campaign that we could target our own members of Congress, uh, raise the issue and make it local and, and to get people involved to build a movement demanding respect for Palestinian children's rights. Obviously, with Tarek's uh, case last summer, uh, it was highly visible. It was uh, received a lot of media attention. Um, he's a great, strong uh, kid and he's got a strong family behind him and, and he's been really great in helping to highlight uh, the issue uh, for other Palestinian kids that um, may not have the certain privileges that he has with the dual Palestinian American citizenship and being able to kind of access the, the State Department to leverage him out of a pretty terrible situation where um, Palestinian kids would just really be uh, stuck in detention for months. And Jennifer, can you tell us about the conversations that happened between these advocacy groups and members of Congress during these days of advocacy? Yes, well, in addition to hearing about Tarek's 
um, case, which is uh, often uh, received with with shock by uh, members of Congress, um, especially when they see the photographs and and the details of of how he was treated and and how um, there is no accountability for what has happened. Uh, In addition to that, um, I think what we were able to do is to to talk about how these practices are systematic, how it's widespread, how it's not a new phenomenon. This is part and parcel of what it means to be living under Israeli occupation. Um, and I would say that uh, even for veterans on the Hill who follow um, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, many of them were, were shocked um, to hear about the specifics. When, when Brad and I were in uh, various meetings with um, staffers, um, you could see them visibly becoming upset, <laughs> uh, as, as Brad in particular was able to share with them um, the process of what what happens uh, uh, during night raids, the kind of interrogation, uh, the the impact that it has on families. So um, it was, uh, I think, important as an introduction to uh, to a lot of uh, people that we met with, and and for those who were more seasoned, uh, it was putting kind of shining the light on an aspect uh, of the conflict that that previously really hadn't been talked about. We used the um, uh, day of June 1st being the International Day for the Protection of the Child as a kind of uh, media hook and a way to bring together uh, faith groups who um, often advocate for children, whether they're children in detention centers here in the United States or uh, in other parts of the world, in trafficking or... um, yeah, in our own uh, uh, injustice system here in this country, uh, the pe- bringing those voices to um, into the conversation uh, about Palestinian children, and and it, I I think we felt really good about it. Um, we were also able in the briefing itself um, to debut a new um, video documentary video that highlights the stories of four Palestinian children who um, have been in the Israeli military detention system, and I think that their very compelling stories combined with Tarek's um, really held the uh, overflow crowd pretty spellbound. Well, this is a question maybe for both of you. Um, do you think that that, do you think that the, sh- the shock that congressional members um, felt when they heard these testimonies and, and, and listened to um, to, to you and Brad um, about what happens to Palestinian children in, in Israeli military detention. Do you think that that kind of shock will translate into action, and, and, and you know how how would that manifest itself? I think it's an interesting question, and and you know my short answer is that I'm not sure. But after talking with a lot of different policymakers, both in D.C. and kind of at the international level, uh, the one thing that I was encouraged by is that. It didn't seem to be the case that these these specific individuals had been uh, approached on this issue before. Uh, so 
there was some novelty to it, as in it wasn't something that they're normally used to addressing and, and maybe saying, you know, sorry, we can't do anything about. It was something that um, when we raised the issues and, and the severity of the issues and kind of the persistent nature of, of the ill treatment that Palestinian children face in the Israeli military detention system, um, the response wasn't, sorry, we can't help you, even though that's very grave. It felt like people were interested in figuring out how this issue fits into the things that they're considering um, in D.C. as they carry out their uh, legislative agenda, etc. So um, we hope that the, the presence that we had in D.C. can be sustained and that the, the letter that was drafted the Dear Colleague letter that was drafted by Congresswoman McCollum to, to Secretary Kerry uh, asking that this issue be prioritized um, by the State Department in the relations with the Israeli government, I think, is a first step. We're, we're embarking on an incremental kind of approach to engaging on an issue uh, with specific policymakers that uh, aren't necessarily predisposed to being uh, sympathetic to the issue or uh, regularly you know, interested in, in actually pursuing anything related to the issue. So we're trying to mobilize and, and make it so they have to address it. But based on the responses that we had in D.C. Uh, in some specific meetings, I think there is opportunity and, and hopefully we can grow the movement so that um, more and more constituents are, are contacting the Congress people. Yeah, I was just going to add the um, the piece about Congresswoman uh, McCollum from, from Minnesota. Um, she's a perfect example of a, a member of Congress who doesn't exactly have a lot of um, visibility on the issue of Israel and Palestine, but when um, we met with her office earlier this year and she went to our no way to treat a child.org website. Um, she looked at the videos and, and uh, was also aware of Tarek Abu Fader's case, and, and she just felt like, okay, I can't be quiet about this. Like, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the initiative. Um, and that we, we haven't seen very men, many members of Congress on anything related to um, Palestinian human rights. Um, do that for for a while, even as even as horrific as last summer was in Gaza, and uh, even as we see more um, uh, military aid going to Israel, et cetera, more cover at the UN, and and now with the Secretary General, one could feel pretty depressed about the uh, playing field. Uh, but I do think that um, that this issue uh, is is one that touches people in a different way um, and it becomes difficult for members of Congress and others to be dismissive of it. I mean, even if you um, are uh, don't care about Palestinian human rights, you do care about the future of the region and, and one has to wonder uh, what kind of future there's going to be when 12-year-olds um, are uh, routinely um, put into a military court system and, and detention system that deprive some of their dignity. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. We're speaking with Jennifer Bing of the American Friends Service Committee and Brad Parker of Defense for Children International Palestine. 
Um, Brad, let's talk a little bit about this, um, the news that, that's coming from the United Nations as Ban Ki-moon essentially gave Israel a tacit green light to continue killing and wounding and terrorizing and detaining Palestinian children with impunity by leaving it off the list of serious violators of children's rights. How have you been organizing around this? So initially, we've just been reacting and trying to, to get our message out there that um, really this is not based on the evidence. Um, this is not based on the documentation that was before uh, the Secretary General, and that this is you know, purely a political decision um, from his office in response to pressure by the U.S. administration and, and uh, reportedly the Israeli administration as well. Um, if you look at the, the children in non-conflict agenda uh, within the U.N. Security Council, which the Secretary General's annual report is, is a part of, um, it really is an evidence-based mechanism um, documentation from the ground on six specific grave violations against children, uh, which include killing and naming children, uh, child recruitment, attacks on schools and hospitals, abduction, sexual violence on children. These are kind of the gravest of the grave violations against children during armed conflict. These are the, the violations that have been prioritized by the Security Council in their children armed conflict uh, framework. Um, to be monitored and reported on so that they can uh, really seek to address these specific violations. Um, Israel and Palestine has been on uh, in the, the annual report of the Secretary General going back to 2006. Um, you know, each annual report includes specific violations of killing and naming, uh, often attacks on schools, uh, ill treatment widespread and systematic in the Israeli military detention system, um, there's really an overwhelming record of evidence that should trigger a listing. Um, and indeed, the, the special representative, the Secretary General on Children Around Conflict, who is the individual in the office with the expertise to evaluate the, the documentation coming from the ground, made the recommendation to the Secretary General that he list um, both the Israeli military and Palestinian armed groups in the final report. Yesterday when the report came out, it was it was the same list as last year, meaning Israeli forces and Palestinian armed groups were both excluded. Um, and it, it, it it's really a, a key moment for this mechanism globally. And to remain credible, it's important that consistent standards are applied because it is an evidence-based me mechanism uh, it has been a strong tool for child rights advocates and UN agencies to address grave violations against children. Um, in, in, it's sad that the Secretary General has, has undermined this mechanism to shield Israel from accountability. And just quickly remind us about the, the kinds of violations of the rights of, of Palestinian children, especially that Israel commits on a daily basis. So we, you know, for the past 12 years, essentially, there's been widespread systematic ill-treatment and torture within the Israeli military detention system for Palestinian kids that have been arrested by the Israeli army in the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, children suffer extreme military violence, um, not just in Israeli military offenses, like the, the offensive last summer where over 540 Palestinian children were killed. Uh, in Israeli military attacks, but they suffer from uh, fatal shootings in the West Bank um, at demonstrations. 
kids are shot with live ammunition. Last year, I think there were 12,000 children that were killed um, by live ammunition fired by Israeli soldiers. So uh, really, the, the human rights violations and the scope and scale of them are uh, unprecedented, as the Secretary General said in his report. Um, yet there's there's no listing or action to um, really concretely address and end these very violations against children. Jennifer, uh, talk about the role of human rights activists and organizers in standing up for the rights of children here when our policymakers and political leaders won't demand justice for Palestinians uh, and also for Americans who are brutalized by Israel. Grassroots organizers um, have to step in. How has AFSC continued to organize around the issue of the rights of children in Palestine? So uh, the American Friends Service Committee with other groups have, has, has developed this uh, campaign that we've called uh, Israeli Military Detention, No Way to Treat a Child. And in that, we've basically worked with um, Defense for Children International and Palestine and, and other human rights groups to, to bring these stories, stories of children to the forefront and um, design ways to uh, primarily just educate the wider population about it so that we've been doing workshops at conferences, we've been going to different states around the country, we've been producing materials that are very accessible and easy for um, people who are new to the issue um, to access and to learn about the issue and then to try to turn this into some kind of um, mechanism to to our elected officials. Uh, I would say that that this is only being able to be done. Why we why now? Like why do we think that um, it's worth to go to Congress on this particular issue? Is that we feel that the the overall uh, um, discourse on Palestine has, has changed a lot in the last. Um, couple of years, I think, due to a lot of the successes of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, um, the conversations that have been happening in faith communities about holding ourselves accountable um, and upholding human rights uh, standards. So I think that we're we're trying to uh, make concrete when we talk about a human rights framework, when we're trying to look at the issue from a new lens, this is one of the human rights uh, issues that um, is accessible to people, it's easy to understand, it's easy to see the injustice being done, and so that's where we're starting. And uh, Brad, if people want to learn more about the work that you do with Defense for Children International Palestine, how can they get in touch? So you can go to www.dci-palestine.org. Uh, we're also on Facebook at backslash DCIPS or Twitter at DCI Palestine. Wonderful. And Jennifer, where can people get a hold of you at the American Friends Service Committee? Um, well, at, uh, on our AFSC.org website, you can find a lot of information about both our programs in Palestine and Gaza and and in Israel and then here in the United States as well. But specific to this campaign, uh, we've set up a, a website called NoWayToTreatAChild.org. And on that uh, website, you can get action alerts and read the background resource materials and see some of the new videos um, that, that we've uploaded that um, give specific information about this issue.
Wonderful. Jennifer Bing and Brad Parker, thank you so much for all the work that you do and for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you. Thanks. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features, and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. You can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and on behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.